The following podcast includes some heavy themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. If you need support right now, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636, the Kids Helpline on 1800 551800, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You're listening to Our Voices, a podcast series from the Voices for Change, Self-Advocacy Group and RMIT University's Centre for Innovative Justice. My name is Dorothy Armstrong. I live here uh, in the city of Melbourne. You may remember Dorothy from episode one. She is a member of the Voices for Change Self-Advocacy Group and is also an advisor at the Centre for Innovative Justice at RMIT University where she is part of the Supporting Justice project team. I had the best job I've ever had at RMIT, working for the Centre for Innovative Justice. It's the first job I've I've really loved, and quite strangely, um, because it's talking about sort of all the things that have harmed me, but the outcome of doing that is that it seems to be of benefit and, and helps and is helping to create change so that things are better for other people and... It's quite a remarkable thing to experience or feel. Um, Yeah, I feel feel very privileged to do what I do. In this episode, Dorothy talks about a different side of the criminal justice system to the voices we have heard so far in this series. Dorothy has had contact with the criminal justice system as an offender, but also as a victim survivor of family violence. The Victorian Royal Commission into Family Violence recognised the connection between family violence and acquired brain injury. It made a number of recommendations to encourage better understanding of the impacts of disability on victim survivors. The Enabling Justice Report from the Centre for Innovative Justice also discusses this connection. You can access the Enabling Justice Report online at cij.org.au. And it occurs to me that... Well, I can't help but think that a lot of those things happened because I was a female and, you know, I was at the mercy of male police officers and I was um, I was in the bowels of police stations, you know, nobody knew where I was or what was happening. And, yeah, I just can't help but think that a lot of the things that happened from police did because because I was a female and I think most definitely because I was vulnerable. Um, it is one of the most humiliating and terrifying experiences to have men in such power um, treating you in ways or, you know, taunting you with what they're going to do to you. Um, yeah, it's it's wrong. It's really wrong. You know, violence committed against me. Um, And I certainly had, um, you know, enough experiences of being, you know, visibly beaten up or... Yeah. And what I found quite consistent was that the, the person who committed that, who happened to be a male... 99% 99% of the time didn't face any con- consequences for that at all. Uh, in some cases, you know, there was a intervention order in place, but, you know, no breaches um, were given. 
Um, I've been screamed at a police station, you know, a couple of times. You know, I can still see it in my mind now, um, running literally for my life from a couple of men and I ran into this police station and this officer came out and just like, shut the fuck up, get the fuck out. And then he walked back and shut that door. And that's the place I went to for help. But I found, yeah, that mostly um, there was no response from police or there was a really disgusting response from police. Dorothy had her acquired brain injury confirmed right at the end of her contact with the criminal justice system when she was already in prison. I actually found out when I was in prison. You know, I've been to prison once, first and last time. And while in, in, in one sense I, I wasn't scared to go to prison because I really thought, like, I've survived my life, like, surely I can survive this. Um, but then finding out, and like I said earlier, I actually knew, I knew that I was a different person, you know, that my, the way I was as a person was different. So actually having that confirmed and being in prison, that was, that was a, that was really overwhelming to take that on. You know, and sometimes I even still see it now, just concrete and steel everywhere. And that's exactly, you know, that's generally what your body parts end up on. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the violence that takes place in prison. Um, The further along I go, it astounds me. Like, even, you know, people that, you know, perhaps they're on suicide watch, and it's just like... They're surrounded by concrete and things that will actually hurt them. People, people who have, you know, yes, I was there, but, you know, and I still remember this one particular woman. She had, you know, intellectual disabilities. She had some physical stuff going on. She was treated horrendously. And part of that treatment was getting sent to, you know, the slot a lot. And it was horrifying. And somebody... I mean, there's plenty of evidence to show that one punch can kill somebody or leave them with, you know, permanent brain damage. To be in an environment that is completely concrete and metal, knowing you have brain damage is a really frightening thing because violence occurs in prison. It's really scary. Presenting at uh, either courthouses or court or to a solicitor often you know visibly um, you know battered or bruised having um, having very little time to spend with the solicitor um, quite often it was a very isolating and it was a very frightening and lonely experience going through the justice system because I didn't have any I didn't have any family support I didn't have any support full stop all I had was myself and to sort of be thrust into this institution where most people are speaking a language I didn't really understand and even though I understood what charges were being able to have conversations with you know whoever it was that was representing me um, it just wasn't an option and I feel really 
again, I feel really blessed because I, I've always been able to see and understand that, um, you know, there was never enough time that, you know, the solicitors was completely overloaded with clients um, and that, you know, all these protocols had to be met. And I, I always understood that. But it didn't take away... It didn't take away the pain and whatever else I was feeling, um, the reality of these situations. It was always really frightening, you know. The people were making decisions about my life and having real major long-term effects on my life. And there were really no... Convers that nobody, nobody saw fit to have conversations with me about it. Nobody involved me, and it was just me. It was me trying to do everything, trying to connect myself to services, trying to get help for myself, trying and... To me, nothing good comes out of courthouses. They're not... To me, they're always frightening places to be because what took me there was pain and heartache, you know, and having really horrible things happen. And to be in those places and to go through this system by myself was horrendous. And, you know, and that was another way of, you know, sort of falling out of society because, you know, I didn't... None of those things were on my to-do list, you know, growing up. And I think, like I've said before, you know, because I was by myself and I did a lot, but I couldn't do everything. The same stuff just kept happening all the time. It was like this ride I, I couldn't seem to get off. Looking back, but I've always known, no, nobody, um, nobody ever asked questions. Like when I, when I presented, you know, with swollen black, I was however I presented, I wasn't asked questions about you know, head injuries or, you know, being choked or losing consciousness, sorts of questions that might indicate that there's potential damage to my brain. Uh, I wasn't asked questions like that. And I've thought a lot, you know, over time about that. And I, I'm not going to go into what it felt like to be that person presenting that way, but I can certainly... I can appreciate how difficult it is to to see somebody that way, like to acknowledge it or not to acknowledge it. It's very difficult to look at somebody who's experienced violence. It's very difficult. So to me, you know, I'm I can understand why, you know, a short um, amount of time, say, with a solicitor perhaps wouldn't even go there because they probably have, you know, 30, 40 other people they have to see. There's no time and all sorts of reasons for getting into why I look the way I look or am presenting as I am. But, yeah, I just wasn't... I wasn't asked questions and I certainly wasn't referred to places that could perhaps, um, you know, do some tests to find out. Dorothy's acquired brain injury was not recognised by police, lawyers or courts as she progressed through the criminal justice system, either as a victim or as an offender. 
The website supportingjustice.net has resources to help court and legal professionals recognise the signs of disability and link people in with support. Dorothy did not receive disability-specific supports or have access to safeguards such as the Independent Third Person Scheme or the ITP while she was in the criminal justice system. The ITP is administered by the Office of the Public Advocate in Victoria and provides volunteers to sit with people with cognitive impairments while they are being interviewed by police. So when I initially started to work with the Centre for Innovative Justice on the Enabling Justice Project, I learnt from CIJ staff about this ITP and I asked because I didn't know what that meant. And it was then explained to me what the independent third person was. I, I can't tell you right now what I clearly what I felt back then, but part of me was so angry and so hurt because never in my life had I heard about the independent third person or known that there was actually something in place where a person you know, could be with me in a police interview. And then when I went and then when I went on to learn that it was actually at the discretion of the police to let people know about this scheme, I was just completely gobsmacked and I still am. I really I absolutely don't believe at all that police should have the discretion to disclose that kind of information. Because I as with a lot of things in my life, I could only try to imagine what could have been different. But I don't do that so much these days because it just sends me crazy and, and it really hurts and upsets me. After the fact that all along, you know, that there was, there was an agency and there, was, there were people who were willing and able to come and be with me in a police station and I never knew about it because no police officer ever told me that's wrong. I think really there's a lot of things that I would like to see changed in the criminal justice system. I think really the first thing would be genuine early intervention. And, and what I mean by that is proper, proper supports and services for people in this context of, you know, acquired brain injury and disability in the justice system, that they have somewhere safe and secure to live, that they can actually manage the place where, that they, where they live, that any help and supports that they need, they actually get them and that they're in place, that they've been approved by the government and that they're there so that people can utilise them. Because for me, again, I could only try to imagine had I had help and supports earlier in my life, I wouldn't have ended up where I did. My life would have been so different. And housing played a big part in that, you know? Safe, secure and affordable. It has to be affordable, you know? Um, I think it's really important, I think it's necessary actually that the people who work in the criminal justice system have, I think I'm going to continue to use the word genuine, that they have genuine, real, 
disability, trauma and gender awareness training as a starting point, just as a starting point. Changing people's minds is something nobody can do that. But teaching people to become aware of the differences of somebody like myself can make all the difference to somebody's life and even their own experience in their own workplace. What I hope the Royal Commission will do, first and foremost, I think is believe, believe the people like myself that have told you and are telling you about really terrible things that have happened to them that should never have happened to them. What I would like the Disability Royal Commission to do is once and for all make the required changes so that people with disability full stop are given and treated with the same respect as everybody else instead of being classed differently and somehow considered less than. Whether a person's disability is, is as a result of birth or something that happened after birth, it shouldn't matter. But for some reason in our society it does. There's less value placed on people that are a bit different to implement the things that people like myself have been telling you that housing, safe, secure, affordable housing needs to be provided, that the people who work in the criminal justice system need to have adequate training and understanding of the people that they're actually dealing with on a daily basis, like bare minimum. And another massive uh, area too is whatever the walls are between this system that they need to be removed and there needs to be free sharing of information between all the different parts of the criminal justice system. You know, some of the delays in, you know, having paperwork for a person sent from one part of the system to another can look like a couple of months. But in the meantime, the person that that information is about is left waiting, rotting somewhere, and it's usually a cell. And it's just not good enough. It's just not okay to be treating vulnerable people this way. It, it's just not acceptable. Thank you for listening to Our Voices, a podcast series by the Voices for Change self-advocacy group and the Centre for Innovative Justice at RMIT University. This series has been produced with the support of SIN Media. I'm Michael Harrell-Ambus from the Centre for Innovative Justice. You can learn more about the Centre's work on our website, cij.org.au. This podcast series touches on difficult topics. If you need support right now, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636, the Kids Helpline on 1800 551800, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. In Victoria, if you're experiencing family violence, call Safe Steps on 1800 015 188, or Men's Line on 1300 78 9978. 
If you've experienced sexual assault, the Sexual Assault Crisis Line is one 806 292